On this week's episode, is it time to switch to Nintendo's new Switch? New World Order hits a 2 sweet 25. And what did we think of Black Widow? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry, that quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows. And if you can, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do anything that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, it is sincerely appreciated. We're going to have an excellent show on tap for you today. No Marcus De La Garza. He's actually going to be doing a special interview coming up on the Monday show, so stay tuned for that. But on this week's show, we've got a great cast of characters talking a lot of pop culture. T.J. Johnson on the Oculus Rift. The new Nintendo Switch model that was announced. Is it something we're interested in? Is it something you need? We'll talk about that coming up on the show. And also... We're going to go into a little bit of spoiler land when it comes to Loki Episode 5 as we talk about that episode as well. Plus, Jamie Monroy is going to stop by in the program talking about the new, 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 new world order. It's 25 years old this week. The birth of one of the greatest creations ever in the pro wrestling genre. That's going to come up later on the show as well as Jamie and I go into detail with our thoughts, our memories, and also all the great things that the NWO Plus, still is, and why it's still so well thought of. Plus, Elevan Glassford stops by on the back end of the show as we review Black Widow. We were some of the first to check out Black Widow today, and we have thoughts on it. Spoilers for Loki, but not for Black Widow. But it's going to be a great show we have for you out there coming up. But first, T.J. Johnson is on tap right now. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with the show. It's Gerald Glasser coming right back at you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, along with one of my good friends, a returning man. He's been very busy in so many ways, going out in the middle of a hurricane. That's only he can, because he's that brave. Well, you know what they say about bravery. Sometimes it's not just bravery, but it's a whole lot of craziness as well. <laughs> it is a good friend indeed. You remember him from his days from Voice from the Underground, but he's also been here on the Pop Culture Cosmos and the Lakers Fast Break so many other times as well. It is TJ Johnson. TJ, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and you know why. <laughs> yes, because you've got yes. a young one on the way. Yeah, and... man. Little boy number two. There you go. And it'll be uh, three for you total. And All right. shutting it down. That's it. Three and out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right. Sure. Yeah, okay. right. Nothing. Shutting that down. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. But tell you what, it's great to have you here, my friend. Wanted Thank to you. ask you real quick. You had some thoughts you wanted to share on the Oculus VR. We had a little bit of confusion for you on what part of the <laughs> Oculus VR, but you've cleared it up. You've had a yes. great time in talking about the Oculus VR so far off air so please share us your thoughts on oculus why it's so good they've made a redesign they've made it cheaper they've done things to approach a larger audience if you know me at all and you've heard me at all on the show i've expressed some pessimism over the years Mm -hmm. because i've actually seen the birth of vr i've seen the, the first attempt in the 90s i've seen the attempts now and I know the attempts, what, in the latter part of the last decade when PlayStation and Oculus really tried to go ahead and get involved with VR along with a lot of others. They tried to all hop onto it because they thought it was going to be the next big thing, and it never became the next big thing. But Oculus, with so much money invested, obviously with Facebook fitting the bill, is trying this again, and you've got some better results this time around. 
Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Gerald, the, the whole 3d VR thing. I was extremely pessimistic about, I mean, I tried, I tried with a few different things. I tried with the, my PlayStation VR. I just tried the, the, the headset was cumbersome and then you got the cores that attached to it. You can't move around. You can't really, you don't really feel like you're in VR. So saying that to say, uh, I recently purchased uh, an Oculus VR. It was a, I want to say it was a Father's Day gift. And I was skeptical at first. And then I tried it a few times and, and really ended up enjoying um, the experience and what it really felt like to be VR for the first time. So it's not tethered in any way, shape, or form. There are no wires that connect the headset. It's literally a headset and two Wiimote-like controllers that you can see here. And that's it. There's no other cores, nothing cable. So having the freedom to truly explore space in virtual reality has never been easier than it is with the Oculus VR 2. What you can do with it you can set yourself up a play space. So let's just say, let's say my living room is, I don't know, 30 by 40. And I've got a space of about six by five that I can actually play in. What you can do is you can set yourself up a safety zone of a six by five. And that way, anytime you approach as you're walking or moving around in your virtual reality world, anytime you approach the boundary that you set up, the game will indicate it. It'll be a little pop-up on a, on a, on a HUD and show you, hey, you're about to hit your boundary and show you exactly where your boundaries are. So to get you to back up. So it's a little immersion breaking, but obviously for your safety. So because it's not tethered, you have the ability to move freely. And the nice thing about this, at that point, you can truly feel like you're engaged in this world. Uh, you can truly move around and interact with different things, quote unquote, touch different things, and just kind of see the way that you truly can be in this world. So it still wasn't too sure, so I bought a couple of games. The nice thing about it is the games are relatively cheap. Uh, we're talking maybe 10, 15 bucks, maybe 20, 30 bucks for a high-end VR game, if you will. So the experience initially, and obviously the price point that the VR is set at, is not as big of a investment as it has been in the past. So that was much more palatable, if you will, mm -hmm. for me to participate in. So I downloaded uh, Beat Saber. And I downloaded a couple of other games, kind of tested out, test the waters. I want to say I downloaded Super High, which is a big game that came out on the PlayStation and on the Xbox. And I had all these different indie awards. And the first time that I truly felt in a game, the which direction you're looking, you're in this incredible world because you don't have any wires attached. You can truly have the freedom to move and express yourself as an avatar. Just recently, I did the Vader Immortal, the Star Wars game, if you will. And I lost my mind. It was The experience was just a lot of fun. Now, granted, it's not a very deep game. We're not going to pretend like this is an award-winning, 50-hour-long sci-fi epic. This is about the game the length of a, feature move, of a feature film. So it ends up being about three, three and a half hours long. But just the immersion, the fact that you feel like you're in this world is really something to behold, especially for a, a, a geek like myself who just would love the ability to force grab a lightsaber and ignite it for the first time. It is really, actually really, really cool. So, you know, I, normally I wouldn't recommend those type of things because they're very, very gimmicky at best at times. But the Oculus VR, brother, that, that thing is a lot of fun. That thing is a lot of fun, and it's the truth. It doesn't. The battery is not where I want it to be. I'd want the battery to last a little longer on it. But considering what I'm getting, consider that it does video, audio, spatial recognition. Um, it, there's a lot of power in that little headset. So I'm actually quite impressed with it. Um, but I, I absolutely, I'm floored by it. I have a business trip coming up. I will be taking my Oculus VR with me. <laughs> well, that's awesome to hear, my friend. I'm. Glad you're enjoying it because, again, we've talked about before on the show, the VR yeah. and the the fact that I just didn't think that the future of VR was, was set yet. I think there's still personally some devices that need to be made. I still think it needs to get to the point where it has to be like I once saw at CES with Microsoft's Smart Room where you would mm -hmm. just walk in. And I don't want necessarily as detailed as the Holodeck because obviously if we had that, that would be uh, you know a great deal of money. But walking in and experiencing interacting with a room that could actually go ahead and work with you on something like that without cameras, without headsets, without controllers and things of that nature. I think that's if, if they're able to go ahead and do something there, I think you're going to get a buy in from a lot more people. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to just a VR headset? Because I know that's part of the drawback or pushback that a lot of people give. Yeah. And, and you know, rightfully so. It's going to be different. I mean, the, the headset has a little bit of weight, nothing substantial, nothing crazy, but obviously that's something to kind of keep in mind. There's a little bit of weight to the headset. So there there may be a, a bit of a learning curve. And the other thing about that I, I failed to mention is that you can actually use Oculus VR without the controllers as well. It actually does recognize hand gestures and movement and such. So uh, that's also not actually a really cool feature, but you know, absolutely. It, it, it's not for everybody. I can tell you as some of that truly crazy immersion. Um, anytime I'm playing a game, I want to play in a full 7.1 surround sound with um, the lights off, and I want to make sure that I feel as in the game as possible. I mean, the name of the game in regards to me is Immersion. I want to absolutely feel like I'm part of this world. Uh, with that being said, the Oculus VR uh, 2 really does give me the ability to feel like I feel like I'm I'm being sponsored by them right now. But it really does give me the ability uh, to feel truly immersed in the experience. And I think ultimately that's really what the entertainment medium is about. It's about immersion. It's about feeling like you're part of it. It's about being able to escape whatever it is you are going through. Or, or it's, 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 it's escapism at its finest. It's a lot, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Well, speaking of devices for entertainment and gaming, things of that nature, one of the things that was just announced by Nintendo was not a Nintendo Switch Pro, which everybody was anticipating. It was a Nintendo Switch OLED screen. And if everybody remembers the PlayStation Vita and how colorful and bright it was as far as the colors popping out and how good the screen looked, it was an OLED screen. And this is going to be something where you do pay a little bit more, $350. It is coming out, I believe, October the 8th, if memory serves. And $350, you do get a 7-inch, a little bit larger screen and the LED, but it's still the same old Nintendo Switch under the hood. So I want to hear your thoughts. Necessary or not necessary? I personally think that they should have just waited until uh, they were ready to go ahead and introduce a Nintendo Switch Pro with a souped-up engine underneath the hood. And then you put out an OLED screen with it and a larger screen and all that. But your thoughts on a kind of different, but not too different, Nintendo Switch? Gerald, I, I completely agree with you on this 110%. I think this is, is is unnecessary. I really don't see... Obviously, the Nintendo is catered to a different audience. Okay, um, let's start by saying that. So the price point of $349.99, manufacturer suggested retail price point, to you, to myself, may not be super attractive considering that a lower end Xbox is two ninety nine, a lower yeah. end PlayStation Five, and when I say lower end, a discless is three ninety nine. So for a a console that is not nearly as strong, if not as strong as the previous generation consoles, and costs fifty dollars more than some of the new net current gen consoles, or fifty dollars less than one of the better current gen consoles it just seems it seems kind of asinine to me but with that being said obviously nintendo caters to a different audience they cater to a different crowd they cater to a hip want to be out move about crowd and that's really who this is designed for this isn't designed for the um the theater enthusiast the home theater enthusiast because it doesn't really change anything other than the oled screen it's a little bit heavier if i remember if memory serves me correct little heavier the battery's a little bit better uh or maybe on par with the updated uh nintendo switch that came out with the longer battery life but other than that there aren't any substantial changes that i've heard anything about so i'm completely in the same camp of this could have waited until you really did have uh, a switch pro to announce that would give you blazing 4k or even if it wasn't you know the top, Just a top faster top processor it, it better than what it is a faster a, processor yes yeah. a faster processor more memory just something that would make me want to shell out an additional 350 bucks because truth be told there's absolutely no reason i haven't and i hate to admit this on air but i i haven't turned on my nintendo switch in about four months maybe five the only reason i still have it is because my daughter who uh who lives out of state and I will play Splatoon 2 or Mario Kart every now and then, but truth be told, I, I really don't use it. So 
this is not uh, an announcement that's going to make me say, yay, let me go trade in my old switch for a new switch. Like I, I, truthfully, I, they could have kept this one. They really could have. Same here. My daughter and I play our Nintendo Switch once a month, maybe at best. I mean, we're, maybe when we go out on vacation, mm-hmm. we're going to take it out on, on there. But otherwise, it, it stays here looking at it right now, collecting dust. And the thing is, compared to my PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, especially my Xbox One right now, it's just something I play more, a lot more of. And the fact is, it's, you know, a lot of it is due to the games. Mm-hmm. But when when you have a system that is so catered to Nintendo and the way Nintendo develops it. Nintendo develops great games for it, but Nintendo knows it better than anyone else. And that Nintendo does such a great job of doing it by themselves, but ask anyone else to make a Nintendo Switch game, and it's very mixed results. Ask anyone to go ahead and port a game to Nintendo Switch, and it's a completely different story. This is something that I was hoping that they could go ahead and solve in regards to a faster processor and Nintendo Switch Pro because then you could migrate popular games that are on the Xbox One or PlayStation 4 without trouble onto the Nintendo Switch. I mean, it has a hard time loading up Skyrim. And Skyrim is a game from 2011. That's an issue to me right now. So the OLED screen is going to look great. It's going to pop out with colors. It's going to be looking awesome for what it is, but it's still the same old Nintendo Switch under the hood, and that exactly. to me is quite disappointing. They catering to a very specific crowd. I don't know what that crowd is, but they're they're catering to a very specific crowd, uh, one that clearly wants a, a better, brighter screen with a longer battery. But by and large, it's the same Switch that we got released years ago, so I just... If the question is buy or pass, this is a hard, hard pass. Like, yes, same for me here. Be, you know, I don't even want to be in the same aisle. <laughs> and, and the problem is people are going to have to buy it because if they've got someone out there that wants a Nintendo Switch for Christmas, per se, and they've already sold out of the $300 ones, I guess they got to shell out $50 more exactly. to go ahead because there will probably be some of these available. So I'm not sure exactly how many they're going to produce or this is going to be the dominant one or they're going to package it. They're going to have a bundle with it. Who knows what Nintendo is going to do with it right now. But it's a very curious decision, and I'm interested to see how it's implemented. Is this a sign that the older Nintendo Switch is being phased out? What about the entry-level version, the one that you actually just cannot put on the TV screen? That one's $100 less. That one's at $199. Is that one being phased out? I mean, I want to know what's going on with it. Nintendo's been very unclear as far as that's concerned. So it's going to be interesting to see. But yes, for myself, I have no desire to upgrade with this model. And I don't think most people will either. I agree with you, but not even close. (laughs) It'll just be something if if your nephew, Timmy, or your niece, Alicia, or whoever, you know, you got to go ahead and buy them a Christmas gift. And they've been begging for one now for mom and dad. And mom and dad haven't come through. And or Nintendo Switches are sold out all over the place, except for the OLED one at $50 more. You'll get stuck buying that one. But I really think that's that's the only people that really right. caters to. But And then, like you said, the Nintendo hardcores out there that have got to go ahead and switch, pardon the pun, to the new Nintendo <laughs> Switch. But still, I think that a lot of this is wasted allocation of funds and manpower to a system that needs to be improved and upgraded in more ways than what they're doing already. Absolutely, everybody. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. Big on America. Hey, guys, this is Jason Dutch with Dig on America Podcast, and I'm here with... Big Hops. And I'm also here with... Mikey Famine. Big on America here, we explore how American history, policies, and sometimes even our pop culture created the social and political issues facing Americans today. You can check out our website, digonamerica.com. We're on every single audio podcast app there is out there, Pandora, Spotify, etc. Subscribe on YouTube. You can check us out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash DOA podcast. Hopefully you'll listen to the show, guys. Big on America. But my friend, Loki, episode five, we're coming to the end <laughs> of the yes. series. And yes. I thought 
three of the episodes have been okay, and two of the episodes have been outstanding. And my goodness, this was one of the episodes to me that was outstanding. And I want to hear your thoughts. Spoilers, everyone. We're going into spoiler territory. <laughs> Basically, after getting pruned, Loki finds himself on an, a you know an area and a time frame and time zone that he's encased with other Lokis, many other Lokis, and including the great actor Richard E. Grant uh, as old Loki in the yes. traditional outfit yes. he first seen in the his yes. first appearance in the comic <laughs> book. So that was great to see. Did a great job, had a great performance, but Sylvie, Lady Loki, pruned herself and ended up also on this. And then she works with Loki to try and find out the origins of who is behind all this with the TVA and their efforts to go ahead and control the flow of time. And so after battling in a way, and I use that quote in quote, battling the large beast that's protecting <laughs> whoever's behind this, call it the Alioth. They go ahead in the last moments of the episode, they're entering uh, or about to enter a area where there's this big, huge home. And you, that's, again, they cut to black with no cutscene or anything. So very interesting to see the interaction between all the Lokis. I know everybody loves alligator or crocodile Loki. You choose on that, but... <laughs> I, was it is an alligator or a crocodile loki it was an alligator it, it's it's in the snout if the snout is more v it's an alligator okay. it's more okay. of a u shape than it's a crocodile okay i think a lot of people yeah. really Cocoa want to say croc loki i really think a lot of people out there want to say croc <laughs> loki just because you they want to say croc but it is alligator loki and you had young Loki, yes. and you you had you know just so many Lokis out there. But your thoughts on this episode? I really think they again, like one of the other episodes passed a couple of weeks yeah. ago, they really knocked it out of the park. Absolutely, I, I think that again we we're realizing that Marvel's switching gears and going into more serialized forms of storytelling. Uh, I think this episode was by far the strongest, and typically the penultimate episode has been. If we look back at Wandavision, if we look back at Falcon and Winter Soldier, following up now with Loki as well. I think it really has been that the fifth episode, the penultimate episode, has typically has been the strongest episode of the series. So saying that to say, I absolutely adored this episode. I, I'm with you. I, I didn't think a few of the episodes, especially the one prior to, so episode number three, really didn't do it for me. Um, I, I was bored. I thought it was a weird cut at the end. I thought the way they ended that episode was just a little... Uh, I'm sorry, not episode three, episode four, excuse me. Episode four had it just, it was just weird. It ended weirdly. It just, it just didn't do it for me. This episode yeah. by far uh, was leaps and bounds ahead. Uh, my concern is as I'm thinking about the character Loki and, and Tom Hiddleston's performance has just been uh, off the charts. And obviously we love Owen Wilson as well. I'm concerned that Sylvie is using our Loki, the our oh, it's Loki. Loki Prime, if you will, yeah, it's of Loki. course, and and that's that's I I think that's what the underlying issue is is that you just can't trust the Loki, and my concern is that our Loki, Loki Prime, if for all intents and purposes, is really learning to trust her, and in that trust, if you will, he's allowing himself to become vulnerable. And my concern is that Sylvie's about to stab him right in the back. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just, my, my heart's achy for him already because I just, I feel it coming. I just feel. You, you can tell. You can this, tell. This, if you watch Game of Thrones and if you pay attention, you know this doesn't have a happy ending. And there's just no, there's no way to me that this ends up with a happy ending of them two starting a timeline together and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm excited to see what ends up happening, um, especially, and I, forgive me, the actress who's uh, the head of the TVA at this point, she's really selling it, and she really drank the Kool-Aid this episode, and she was all about the TVA. There were a lot of moments where she was talking with Sylvie, and I thought that she might have actually, for a second, turned, and my, for a second, I wanted to know the exact origins of the TVA and she just flipped the switch and threw me for a loop. And uh, it's been some pretty stellar performances. It was awesome to see Richard E. Grant's performance as Loki and 
he took it very serious. You know, it, it, it was very easy, especially when you're in that kind of costume to be very cheesy and very, you know, melodramatic and overacting, but he took it serious. He actually did a, a phenomenal job. I'd almost want to see an old man Loki spinoff at this point. I, I know it's, it's, he's gone now, but I'd almost enjoy an old man Loki spinoff. I just thought well, that you, you, they could always have him come back. Yeah, I'm sure they can. It's 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 the it's the multiverse now, right? Yes. We can we can do anything we want to do at this point. Great episode, great pacing. Uh, I am excited and I cannot wait to see episode six again. It's become musty television, and I don't know how Marvel's going to continue these serialized shows or what their plans are, but they're starting to learn some things now. If they can find a way to keep every episode as engaging as this, then it would go much longer in and making these much more enjoyable, but by and far, uh, very, very strong episodes, very strong episodes, strong performances all across the board. And I'm really excited to see what happens with Sylvie and Loki uh, at the end of all this. I agree with you on that. If they could find a way to keep captivating audiences, because with all three series, there's a lot of episodes that are eh episodes. And then there are episodes that just knock it out of the park uh, for me seems like two or three each series has those knock it out of the park and then the rest are just filler or just stretching everything out. And maybe that's the key. Maybe you lessen the episodes. I'm not sure. I mean, they just, sometimes these episodes are really, I just sat through an hour. It it was okay. It was not nothing really (laughs) terrible, but it was not like the watching the tomorrow war or anything. So really it was just, you know, it was there cheap shot to the tomorrow war. We'll talk about that. Sounds like you watched it too. No, but I've heard, and I, I don't think I will watch it because I've already heard of how great well, it's sho- so Shocker I'm upon all shocker, Deadline has reported that they're already trying to work and talk about a Tomorrow War 2. So it, obviously it's done well in its first weekend streaming-wise. Getting back to Loki, like I said, if we could <laughs> just find a way to find that brilliance and recapture that brilliance each and every episode, that's all we can ask, but yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to the final episode of Loki. I'm hoping it ends with a really, really solid episode. I know that's something you and I have talked about where Captain America and the Winter Soldier and then also WandaVision have not ended in the best of notes. I know with WandaVision, exactly. a lot of it was based off yes. of the production and what they could and couldn't do because of coronavirus. I know with Captain America and the Winter Soldier, I know it's just some of the pacing, some of the issues there and concerns there. But, you know, the, obviously the message socially was meant and was very strong. And that part of it was, was awesome to see and, and some of the storylines that were tied up. But it just wasn't giving you that overall bang as some of the other episodes like we've seen throughout each of these series. But I'm hoping Loki will finish strong. And I don't know yet. I'm on the fence to whether or not this is the best of the Marvel series. But I think it all weighs down on this episode for me. Yeah, I'm not there. I still think that if I had to pick one between WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Loki right now, it's still Falcon and Winter Soldier. Even for their ultimate episode six, whatever you want to call it, I still think that was probably the strongest series altogether. But, you know, there's a chance. There's one more episode for Loki, and if this ends with a banger, which is something that, as we both mentioned, that the prior series haven't done, then it, it could it could take it could take the number one spot as far as I'm concerned. But right now, I'd still have to I have to put Loki at number two with uh, Falcon at number one, and then WandaVision, unfortunately, coming in at at number three. There you go. Well, I mean, right now for me, <laughs> I've got something similar because I've got it as neck and neck between Captain America and Winter Soldier and Loki. I think a lot, like you said, rides on this last episode. WandaVision, because it was so way up and so way down for yeah. me, I think that's why yeah. it's number three. But I will say that I've had a, a good time watching all three shows, and I look forward to seeing what What If coming up what in if? August. Yeah, mid-August right New there for you. They actually today. dropped it. Yep, yeah. they dropped a trailer today. It's very interesting to see how that develops. It's got its own unique look, and I'm not sure I love it or hate it yet, so I'm still on the fence on that. But we'll see what happens when it comes out. Thanks for checking out the PCC, you know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. You've heard others, but nothing could prepare you for the shameful stupidity that is the Jock and Nerd Podcast. 
Witness the hubris as they claim to be the world's authority on comic book movies. Who said that? Never said that. We've never said that. Who cares? A jock said that. Comic book, TV, movie reviews, news, and whatever they choose. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Jock and Nerd Podcast. Seriously, people really listen to this. Uh, Jock and Nerd! We're back here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, and you cannot have a week like this go by without recognizing one of the most important landmarks in professional wrestling history. And we here at the Pop Culture Cosmos are not going to forget it because it has played such a great part of pop culture. And who better to talk about 25 years of the MWO, New, New, New World World Order. Then a good friend of mine, you got to check him out on Twitch at Degenerate2018. Plus, he's one of the organizers behind a awesome GoFundMe that you need to support, Monroy Family versus Breast Cancer. Please go check out that today at GoFundMe.com. It is my good friend indeed. It is Jamie Monroy, part of the member of the Game Source and Pop Culture Click. Brother, absolutely, and it is 25 years to the day as we record this that Bash at the Beach happened 1996, and it was a very pivotal time for the professional wrestling industry. Both the WWF and WCW going into 2016 worked in the best of shapes, although the WCW was coming on a little bit. It wasn't until the acquisitions of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who migrated over in a big maneuver from the WWF that really started to kick things off. They had a situation where they would come in, sit in the crowd, and be kind of an annoyance, and also come on television. And they were acting like outsiders. In fact, they were called the outsiders because they were often referred to as such during the course of WCW. But before we go into the actual famous day itself... And I got a chance to watch that on replay on YouTube here today for the umpteen thousand time, <laughs> because I actually consider it one of the greatest moments in sports entertainment history. I want to hear your thoughts. The first time that you saw Holland Nash come on to WCW Nitro, a growing television show, which was getting some interest, getting a little bit more momentum behind it, but really was buoyed by the success of the Outsiders before the NWO even started. True. I mean, that was pivotal move. It, it was the start, just the spark of the Monday Night Wars. And it's just a pivotal move. No one saw that coming. No one, that was unheard of, especially in front of the camera. You know, when business is thrown out there like that in front of the camera, was you didn't see that kind of thing. That, that kind of move wasn't out there. No, no. A lot of insider references. Something that, you know, if only you were on the inside or, or reading, uh, you know, the news and, and updated information, did you know that this was going to happen? And when it did happen, for a lot of people, it came as a big shock seeing those two individuals that they had just seen previously on WWE television, although that leads into a situation where they had a WWE house show or WWF house show at that point in time in Madison Square Garden that you know, <laughs> also changed a lot of things for the WWF. And that's another story altogether. In fact, it all starts another story altogether for <laughs> both Triple H and Steve Austin. But again, we go back to the outsiders. They came in week after week. You didn't know what they were going to do. You didn't know what havoc or, or chaos they were going to cause, but they decided to come in. And at first they were unsigned, quote unquote, two individual wrestlers that you knew from up north, quote unquote, mm -hmm. who actually were already signed. They became a regular part of WCW Nitro and, we're still called the outsiders, but they were creating quite a stir. And they were creating quite a stir with the top level of the card when you had the Stings, you had the Macho Man Randy Savages, you had the Lex Lugers. 
And it all led to a situation where it was a three on two because you didn't know what was going on at that point in time, 100%. But it was three on two at Bash at the Beach 2016. It was a situation where it was Lex Luger, Macho Man Savage, and Sting against the Outsiders, Hall and Nash, with a mystery partner. But the mystery partner wasn't there. So what would happen? It kind of seemed obvious when you look back on it now who was going to be that third partner. I remember that time a lot of people just thinking it was going to be him, but they weren't 100% sure. His act, as far as Hulk Hogan, got stale in WCW. The red and yellow was starting to wade a little bit. He was starting to get booed a little bit more and more. Tell me your thoughts about going in and watching that as it unfolded. That was everybody's hero, if you think about it. Back in WWF days, well, you know what I mean. Cliche-wise, he wasn't mine either. I didn't take my vitamins just because he said to. I liked the bad guys at that time. Against, exactly. You know, yeah. I only liked it when Hogan was cheating because he would always go back and have that heel style uh, right. and working that style, even though so he, was, he was the sense. biggest baby face in the world. It was kind of It made perfect sense for them to flip the script and go, wait, no, he's nobody's hero. He's not telling you to eat anything. But well, yet, after the TV he movies, still had that persona but came off in a darker way. Yeah, Amy, he had signed with WCW. Uh, he had done a lot of stuff, done Thunder in Paradise, done some stuff, TV movies, mm-hmm. I think, or something like that. He'd done, like Mr. Nanny but, was done he, by then as well, too. Right? Yeah, and, and then did some stuff, but none of it was really clicking. And we saw the declining value of Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. We started to see it as far as, not necessarily ratings per se, because the ratings for WCW... They started to get some more notoriety. They started to build up a little bit more dollars as far as what was being supported to them as far as their production value is concerned. Nitro came on and was becoming a bigger and bigger success going head-to-head on Monday night. And it all led to the thing where, again, as the months preceded it, you started to see less and less enthusiasm over Hulk Hogan, and those boos became more audible. So he decided to call an audible, and I think it was one of the best moves of his career. I went from an individual who could not stand Hulk Hogan to an individual that really appreciated Hulk Hogan in the NWO, even though his iconic promo that he cut when he ended up coming into the ring as the mystery partner and stabbing the back of all the Hulkamaniacs and going ahead and sabotaging the match and leg-dropping Randy the leg Savage. drop heard round the world. Yes, the leg drop heard round the world on Randy Savage. And that, I think he did it three times, if I remember correctly, as I was watching That's, it today. Yeah. And as the trash of an unheard of amount, an unseen amount before, flew into the ring, he gave off one of the best promos of his career, but he couldn't help but mess up. He, New World Order, he put New World Organization. Couldn't get that order right, but got the point of nwo it is still in my opinion his best promo uh, of his career and how in one moment he became such a beloved even still to that day beloved figure by the kids and the little ones to an individual that became hated and he knew because he had played the heel before it was something that he wasn't unfamiliar with his style of wrestling, even as a face, was was very heel oriented. Where he would go ahead and scratch people in the back and go take them outside and and brawl with them and throw chairs on them and whatnot. But I want to hear you. I forget the brainchild behind a lot of this was at one time one of the most hated people in that industry, probably still. I don't know. That's a in my own opinion thing. I think for a lot of people, but. I mean, it was Eric Bischoff's brainchild that brought this to light. Yes, and that's something that obviously will be his legacy of success and one of the reasons why he is still known as the individual who at one time had a company that was had surpassed the WWF for 83 weeks as the number one show in the world of wrestling. So it was something where Nitro was 83 weeks in a row, the number one show that people followed because the NWO was something to be revered. And this was his brainchild, even though at first he, uh, you know, was just another person that they NWO was rebelling against. Unfortunately, the temptation of wanting to be part of something that turned out to be really cool at first and really awesome 
was something that he couldn't pass up because he and everybody that was a buddy to him eventually ended up there. In fact, I think almost 90% of the roster, and I'm just kidding when I say that, but <laughs> it, it, it seemed like at one time with the NWO. NWO somebody was going through there at least once in their career, it seemed like. Yeah, exactly. The Click, the Wolf Pack. I mean, there was just so many different factions of the NWO that it broke off into. It sort of lessened the fact and killed the NWO later on. But for a while, yeah, unfortunately, the NWO raised quite a, a stir each and every week. You didn't know what the NWO was going to do. I really liked it at first, and obviously they were the main reason why they were 83 weeks in a row. Them and Bill Goldberg were the reasons why the show was it was what it was for those 83 weeks. Absolutely. Just a, a great lightning in a bottle time where they were able to grow this Bill Goldberg character and also grow this NWO product. But your thoughts on the NWO looking back on it 25 years later? Looking back on those 25 years later, is it, it's it's mind-blowing to me that, one, it's been 25 years. Honestly, there's aspects and parts of it that seem like I just watched it last week. I can't wait for you know the next part, but unfortunately, we're not going to get the next part. But I I can't help but look back and think, what a genius move on all parts on all parts because without the you know moving aspects of those mouse and personalities that went along with the nwo brainchild or not it wouldn't have worked yeah you couldn't just take any three people put them in there and pull that off it just it wouldn't work absolutely and at one time it was what right in that top three of, of best-selling shirts with right there with austin 316 and the brahma bull so. And so simple. All it was was an NWO for life or just an NWO or yeah, you know, NWO. maybe the spray painted version, which that was always fun, too, to see, you know, somebody get beat up and then on their back it says NWO. And, people and, it's, funny. and it's funny now, 25 years later, the Brahma Bull shirts, even though Rock is the most popular movie star in the world, and even though Steve Austin is still out there with what he does for the WWE, it's still the NWO shirts that are worn by people who weren't even alive at that point in time. You see them wearing the shirt all over social media there. But they have the people it. like us in their lives that go, you have to see this. Do you want to see what a real wrestling click looks like? Not this, you know. But it's not just a wrestling click. They're not even wrestling fans in some cases. It's just the right. fact that they, they heard about this cool movement or they love the fact that the new the what the NWO represents – they they love the fact that it's a new world order and whatever That's that exactly means. That's it right there. Yeah. And, and it just it just shows you that what it represented was a, a total change in philosophy and for a while how cool it was and how it captivated the nation and how it brought a forever struggling company up into the fact that it was number one for a little while until Austin, you know, Austin Mania, I should say, really <laughs> took over. And in later 1997, but still to my friend, to this day, the legacy of the NWO lives on. Now, let me ask you a question. Being that those two people, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, the Outsiders, whatever you want to call them, they came from a place before that. Now, did anybody ever stop to see or think what that was going to do? How did you feel about that? No, I mean, I'm a huge DX fan. You know that. So yes. I followed that from, you know, the days of the click, the days of this. So why is it? I don't feel like anybody really blinked an eye like, whoa, what's going on? Like well, two he, DX members are now forming this other thing over here. Well, I, it looks like Bishop took that concept of the click and something that was behind the scenes and in his ever pressing mind to go ahead and see and seeing how you know, smart marks, as they're called, smart audience members that are, you know, wise up to a level of degree as far as their knowledge of the pro wrestling and what's behind it, because they were probably like me, who was trying to get all the information they can and you trying to get all the information they can on what was going on behind the scenes and the, all the political stuff that was going on and the interest behind the scenes. Because uh, quite often in the pro wrestling industry, it's more interesting behind the scenes than what takes place in front of the camera. Oh, and it's always I better think, when real life imitates art. Exactly. So often that got gray, a gray area. And when it was blurring and when they tried to go ahead and blur the lines and talk about a lot of stuff fourth wall 
to the audience. Some of it was really cool. Some of it was over the top and I think a little bit gratuitous. And I think that that probably was not helpful in the end. Now we have a point where, as I spoke to John Orlando from the PVD cast, which you are a part of as well, watching that something that, you know, maybe too much fourth wall has been put out there, but you know, need I digress on that. It's just something that it is what it is. But that that time, a lot of what they were doing was groundbreaking, was revolutionary and was really cool to follow. And I think that's why a lot of people just took, you know, just lashed onto that. And, and remember, the click was something that you and I knew about and heard about, but not everybody else did because it was behind the scenes. But he just took that concept and blew it out of the water because he knew those two were friends. Yeah, and he, and he knew how cool it was. Started. He saw how cool it was to the fans out there, what they were doing, and decided to go ahead and run with it. And it's one of those perfect times that we're hoping for today that you have that type of situation where fans latch on to something and you can go ahead and write it. And at that time in the 1996-1997 era, there was The Rock becoming a heel in corporate and all that. Vince McMahon right. becoming a superhero because of what happened with the Survivor Series. And Austin 316 from The King of the Ring which emanated from the breaking up of the click and what happened in Madison Square Garden. And of course, he had with the NWO. I mean, a lot of the momentous events in modern professional wrestling history happened within a short time period. And the NWO is one of the biggest. But I want to go ahead and mention again, it is Jamie Monroy. Please go ahead and support his awesome GoFundMe.com, Monroy Family versus Breast Cancer, because quite frankly, cancer sucks. So please go ahead and support him and his cause today on GoFundMe.com. But before we edit out, my friend, your lasting memories of the MWO. <laughs> lasting memories of that? Just too sweet. Too sweet. Well, I'll tell you what, my friend. It is great to talk to you once again. It is the 25th anniversary this week as we record this of the birth of not the New World Organization of Wrestling. No, it's the NWO, the New World Order, something which I know every wrestling fan has become aware of. They tried to revive it once again in the WWE. didn't quite work out, but that's another story altogether. That's another oh, podcast altogether. It did spark its own little thing, like you're saying. Yeah, unfortunately, trying to revive it didn't quite work out as planned, but still, the NWO lives on today. Every time you see somebody that's half my age wear a t-shirt on social media of the nwo you got to understand that it's the legacy of what happened 25 years ago my friend it's been great having you on here your nwo for life and i'll tell you what it's always too sweet to have you here at the pop If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. All right, and as we close out the program, last but certainly not least, and we did get the opportunity to go ahead and catch the latest hit from Marvel, one of the biggest movies of the summer, and something that I know my guest and I have been wanting to see for quite some time. I've been mentioning here on the show for approximately five years, even before the show started, I was mentioning that a Black Widow movie had to happen, and that moment finally came for us. As Black Widow has arrived in theaters, what are our thoughts on it? Well, I'll tell you what our thoughts on it right now as far as from a non-spoilery standpoint, because I know a lot of people out there have not seen the movie as of yet, so we won't throw spoilers. I will go ahead and discuss that with Josh on the Monday episode, all the spoilerific stuff going on there. But with me today to talk generalities and, of course, a great review as well, is a good person indeed. You got to go ahead and check out what she's doing every time that she's on the show with us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. 
It is my beloved daughter, Eloin Glassford. And Eloin, great to have you here. I know you've been even more excited than I am in regards to a Black Widow movie, and that time has finally come. What are your thoughts on the Black Widow movie? First of all, it was so exciting to see a Marvel movie in theaters again. This was our first time in a movie theater since everything, and it was so great. Since Skywalker, I think, right? Yeah, our last movie in a theater was Rise of Skywalker, so it was so exciting. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It was so exciting to see a movie in the theaters again. Natasha has been one of my favorite MCU characters for a long time, and I'm so excited that this movie is finally here, and I had a great time watching it, and I really enjoyed it. Well, that's awesome. I know there were some really cool things that you enjoyed with the film. I did think, and I know you didn't want to hear this as much, that this movie should have been placed at a different point in the timeline. It was placed in the storyline at a different place in the MCU timeline, And I think that the movie should have aired a long time ago, but be that as it may, I'm going to say it's a really solid watch as well. I'm just going to sum that up. I really liked my time there. I didn't love the movie, but I certainly didn't come to loathe the movie or think it was a disappointment. I just thought the movie was pretty good. It was all right with me. It was a good way to hang out. It's something I wouldn't mind seeing again. There were some things that I would probably change if I was going ahead and I was directing it or writing it out, but Let me hear from you some of the things that were there. For me, the action scenes were really top-notch, but I want to hear your thoughts on what really made it click for you with Black Widow. Definitely the action was great, and the score was really great as well, and the cast. The cast has a great dynamic. For me, I think that Florence Pugh was a standout not only to shine a light for this movie for everything that Scarlett Johansson has done and how wonderful she has been over the course of the past 10 years and obviously a lot of this movie dealt with her and what she's been through but it also sets Florence Pugh up for greatness and I think the trailers have bared that out so anybody out there who hasn't checked out the trailers really has been missing something because Florence Pugh obviously in the trailers and also the movie it's not a secret that she is had a, you know a great deal to do with this movie. She's one of the stars, and believe me, she's a big part of this movie. But I will say, without going into great depths and great detail, that it is a pretty good watch for me. I know there were some things that maybe I could go ahead and nitpick on, but I'll do that with Josh in regards to that. But to me, it's a very solid watch, and it comes recommended. With Eloin, it's a really strong watch. And may I ask? Is it going to become one of your top Marvel movies of all time? It might be. I think it's in the top 10, which is MCU Elite, basically, because there are so many movies at this point. But I think it is going to be one of my favorites. And it's definitely one of my favorite MCU solo films. Well, there you go. There you go, indeed. And one thing I do want to ask you is that this is a prequel per se. Again, it's placed at a different point in the MCU timeline than what's happening in the modern time or whatever timeline you want to choose in regards to what's going on with the current Spider-Man or what's going on with the Eternals or what's going on with Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That current timeline, this takes place right after the events of Captain America Civil War. Regardless, it's a great prequel. A lot, you know, a lot of people are going to enjoy it. I think it's really solid for me as a watch. I know you just absolutely love it. Do you want to see more prequels like this from characters in the future? I know Hawkeye, we're going to get a series from him. We, we don't know exactly how far into depths it's going to go. The Hulk, I don't know what they're going to do about that because obviously the rights for doing a starring movie with him has to go to Universal. So they can only put him in a supporting role, but maybe they could still find a way to do a backstory from there. But your thoughts on where this could go with prequels. Again, it's obviously to me and to both you as well, a positive sign for the Marvel Cinematic Universe that you can go back and do something really good with these characters. I think they could do more prequels. I'm not really sure 
what characters they could do it with. The only character I can think of a prequel I would want to see is Nick Fury with all his spy stuff in like the Cold War, but I can't really think of any more characters that you could do a prequel off of, but if they come up with something, I would definitely like to see it. And the only reason I mention that is because Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel, has said that this could be a bigger possibility, that if this movie is a hit, that it could be setting the precedent for other prequels down the line to help with maybe some storyline gaps in the MCU to help out the next phase, or just to fill in some gaps in the MCU timeline, or maybe just be as a buffer from one story to another. So it's something he mentioned that they could be seeing more of in the future with more prequels down the line. But I'm encouraged by what I see. Again, for me, I enjoyed it, and I know you did as well. But probably one of the last couple things I want to ask you is, in regards to the family part of it and the characters, I mean, was that done to your satisfaction, the character building, as far as the reasons why they did what they did in the film? I think so. I don't want to give too much away because this is a spoiler-free review, but I think they did justify why Natasha says she doesn't have a family but from you'll see from the trailers even she had this sort of family and they do the family dynamic thing well and you understand why everybody did what they did i think so i'll put you to the test right now again you've had very positive signs for what you believe in regards to your thoughts with Black Widow. And I've said in generalities what I think about Black Widow. And again, I'll be going into more depths as far as spoilerific review. That's coming up on our Monday program. But with you right now, if you had to go ahead and give it a score and you thought about it just a couple seconds, what score would you give it out of 10? Maybe a 8, 9, 10, 10 out of 10? I would give it an 8. Okay. Well, there you go. Absolutely. There's a very strong score there. For myself, again, it's a very solid ride. I had a really good time watching it. There are some flaws, but for me, the bonuses and the pluses outweigh any minuses that there are. I had a really solid time watching it. It was enjoyable to see, and I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. That's probably what I want to say is right now. So it's a pretty good movie. It's okay. It's enjoyable. You'll like it. I think there, again, there's some issues there and some flaws here and there, but I still enjoy my time with Black Widow, and I know Elwin did as well. One last thing I want to ask you before we head on out, is this the last we're going to see of Natasha Romanoff? And do you hope that we'll see her again someday soon in the MCU? I think Scarlett Johansson is done. I think she's put in her time as Natasha Romanoff, and... I think this movie is it for her. I'm certainly hoping that there is going to be some type of future. I know that Kevin Feige again talked about the possibility of working again with Scarlett Johansson. He said he would love the opportunity to do so. I think right now there's nothing on the table, but that doesn't mean that there won't be at some point something thrown at Scarlett Johansson that she's really going to say cool to. I know that Marvel as mentioned by Kevin Feige as well in another interview leading up to Black Widow, is no longer going to be doing any huge multi-movie commitments for any individuals related to the MCU, and that basically those individuals have to be excited about what's coming up for the MCU in order to want to go ahead and continue. So that's going to be a sign where you're going to be seeing a lot of changing faces and changing places here coming up in the not-too-distant future in the MCU. But maybe we will get the chance to hopefully see one day, once again, Scarlett Johansson suit up as a Black Widow. Elowen, it's been so great to have you here, sharing your thoughts today on Black Widow. We look forward to having you on the show even more right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Thanks so much to Elowen Glassford, Jamie Monroy, and TJ Johnson for being on the show today. Remember, tune in next Monday as we have Josh and I talking more Black Widow 
Fear Street on Netflix, and Marcus De La Garza has a great interview on tap as well. This is Gerald Glassman. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in PCC Multiverse. Thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great